It's time for Caught on Tape with Doug Murin. And now your host, Doug Murin. Hey, glad you could join us today again. Uh, we're going to, uh, this week's show again, and probably next, we're going to go back to uh, some of my archives. Uh, every, every once in a while you can tell how far back they are, but some of them are nearer, some of them are further back. But this this is a message that has hung in there with me. Uh, with regard to loss, uh, I have have led and pastored and helped people for many, many years, and I'm pretty sure that one of the most painful times in any human's life is when we uh, face loss, uh, which unfortunately seems to be part of the human experience. Um, we lose loved ones. We lose money. I've lost lots of money a couple times in some uh, depression and recession. And sometimes we lose friends, which hurts. And uh, just if you don't know how to commandeer loss a lot of the time, uh, your your faith can be eroded and can be attacked and undermined. And the, the interesting thing the Bible tells us about Jesus, our Savior, is he was one acquainted with grief. That's that's an interesting statement that Isaiah 53 said. He was acquainted with grief, which is another way of saying he knew what it was to lose. And uh, one of the things I want to leave you with today in this message, which I've presented dozens of times over the years, uh, we just happened to grab one that seemed to be uh, when I was uh, uh, probably most excited about helping people with it. You can uh, listen to this, and I think it will help you commandeer any loss you might be having in your life at the moment. So enjoy, and I'll be back in a few minutes and uh, talk to you about some other things related to the show and, and an offer we have for you. Thank you. Uh, this morning, I want to talk about turning losses into gains. And if you happen to have a Bible... You may want to just open it up and turn to chapter 38 of Job. And we're not going to read it for a while. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. You'll be able to track along with us just fine. Last week, we learned some simple lessons as to how to overcome the fear of loss, which we concluded was more tyrannical and more dangerous than loss itself. And today, we want to talk about how to turn losses into gains. And that is possible especially if you factored Christ into the center of your life. We've decided that Job was probably the best place to go, the Bible, because we do believe the Bible is God's clear and authoritative uh, speaking into our life about issues and questions like we're asking. Our main question is, why... Do good people have bad things happen to them? How many of you have ever asked that question? Why is it that good people have bad things happen to them? Or put in the context of our series, why is it that good people who look as though they're making gains experience loss? Why do we lose sometimes? And why is there suffering and evil in the world? And we're in the middle of a series... And today, I want to give you a simple way that you can, with Christ factored in the center of your life, make every loss you experience be the pathway and open door to gains. I'm going to give, share with you just a little wisdom, but we're going to discover a wonderful thing from the book of Job and the teachings of Jesus. Ultimately, the book of Job answers this question 
So why does a good guy like Job, I mean this guy, we started last week, you'll remember, if some of you were here, you'll remember that Job is the most famous man of all the earth. The guy has seven sons and 3,000 camels, and you can't beat that, right? And he loses it all, loses everything. Even his reputation is stripped down to where he is not only exteriorly naked and without possession, but he is inwardly as well stripped of identity. He's standing bare. And through his loss, God has allowed Job to be an illustration to us as to how we can face losses in such a way that they will become gains. You know, God's not very philosophical. I took a philosophy class uh, several times, both in undergrad and undergraduate classes, and I discovered God would never showed up for class. And uh, he's really not philosophical at all. In fact, he's kind of he kind of has a predisposition to not like to be around philosophizing. And it's interesting, in the book of Job, you've got three guys who wanted to philosophize. And Job, he wants a clear-cut explanation as to, one, how he's supposed to believe that there's a God. And secondly, that this God is all-powerful. And thirdly, that this God's a good God. If everything's going so miserably for him. And being in a culture is pretty much committed to comfort... I think we probably are perplexed by his experience too. After all, we do know that the Lord pretty much spends most of his time being very worried about how much pleasure and safety and comfort we have. Sure, that's the gospel of America. I know that gospel. We haven't produced a lot of martyrs in America based on that gospel. But you know, when we get to the end of this, of this book of Job, one of the things you're going to discover is God doesn't even bother to give this thing a philosophical or logical explanation. In fact... He basically says, the presence of evil and the fact that we all lose doesn't make sense. In fact, he's surprised, we're even surprised. It's a fallen world. But the insane introduction of evil, sin, sin is just another way of saying insanity. I mean, who would willingly disobey God unless they didn't have a brain in their head? But how many here have ever done it? You're crazy. That's right. Just look around. They're all nuts. <laughs> so the Bible says the whole human race, the whole lot, is crazy. There's no logical explanation that can be given a madman or woman. So God talks to Job and he says, I explain to you, Job, how it is that a good person has bad things happen to him. I got one problem with it. You aren't smart enough to understand it. Basically what he says, it's not worth the effort because you're too puny brain. I like that answer. It's a good one. The other, the other, the other answer is this. Well, I could probably take the time, all right, but it's really none of your business. <laughs> Abram Heschel, famous Jewish theologian, says this. He says, don't ever forget, don't ever forget that God is not a nice uncle. Or a great puppy dog. He's kind of a combination of a volcano and an earthquake at the same time. And deal with him very carefully. In C.S. Lewis's book, the Narnia series, in one of the, one of the characters, Aslan, who's a type of Christ, if you ever read, it's great reading. He's introduced to the people he's lying, uh, to the kids in the story. And one of the, one of the children in the story says, well, what's he like? They start trying to tell him. He's, she says, well... He's a lion, is he saved? And Mr. Beaver looks at her. They have talking beavers and stuff in this story. And he looks at her and he says, 
safe. Of course he's not safe, but he's good. We want to domesticate God. And the book of Job says it won't be done. He's not as bothered about our loss and suffering as we are, though he's moved by it. And he doesn't offer a logical explanation to something that's utterly and totally illogical. But I'm going to give you the punchline. He did something better than that. He sent his son. And the only way that this world makes sense is if you choose to look at God through Jesus Christ. If you choose not to, you'll be confused and your life will be a wreck because when you face loss, you are in the greatest danger. How you and I respond to this loss and suffering in our life, how we react in those moments of agonizing pain, when what we thought were gains turned out to be stripped from us with, with such ease, it's mind-boggling. It is in those moments we are most vulnerable. Those are make-it-or-break-it times, and how we face loss will be the acid test to how much we receive in joy from life or misery. When the Titanic sunk, it was supposed to come back in port in London. You all know about the Titanic? And there was great chaos at the port where the ship was supposed to come in. They realized they had a problem. And then the report came in from ships in the area that it had sunk. The company that owned the, the liner put up a display. And on, on one side of the display it said, known to be saved. And on the other side it said, known to be lost. And every so often the a representative from the company would appear with a name on a, on a little slat that would be placed under either, either large billboard, known to be lost or known to be saved. And every time this guy would step out to visibility, the crowd would hush because they knew if he, if he turned to the right, the individual was lost. If he turned to the left, the individual had been saved. And that's kind of the way it is really in life. If you're known to be saved, which is... Basically this, I'm going to tell you, if you're known to have Christ as the central factor in your life, your losses are gained. Okay, you're listening to uh, a message that was officially titled, uh, Turning Losses into Gains. And uh, that, that's an art form. I think we, we, we all have, have mastered. I, I had a friend, I've got to tell you a story, I had a friend, it was quite a story. He uh, was quite a wealthy guy when I met him, and his son was a, had a large church in Phoenix, and uh I was I was trying around training pastors and actually tearing churches apart and putting them back together as an analyst and a coach and a consultant. And this guy had the most fascinating story. He had he had lost everything, lost totally everything through a, a change in the laws. He had been involved in selling horses and, and different things, and the laws changed tax wise, and he lost all of his clients and went from being a multimillionaire to having nothing and uh, didn't know what to do, but he loved God. And he started praying. And uh, true story, he's driving down the street, a construction site, and he looked to his left, and there was a, a group of guys. They were tearing latest off the side of the house like they, they have in that part of the country. It's a lot of stuff. And he thought, you know, I bet somebody would buy that. So he he went, well, turned in, and he said, what are you going to do with that stuff? And they said, we're going to... We're going to uh, throw it on the dump. And they said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. He went and rented a truck and got his two sons, and they, they took all of this stuff off the side of these buildings, uh, stored it, and he went around and resold it uh, because it looked kind of old and quaint to some other builders. 
And so then he first thing, the next thing he did is he started. Guys like this fascinate me. I don't know if you're listening to this, but people like this just amaze me. And he, he went around town finding other places that had similar things being torn off. And he started collecting it. And they were happy to give them to him because he'd take it off for free. And, and then he'd clean it up and he resold it. And then they started a little factory and started making the stuff. And within three years, the guy was a multi-multi-millionaire selling latest from that started off with just throwaway garbage from other people. And his son was a very successful pastor at, at the same time. And, and those kind of people fascinate me. And I, they attributed, I call it special eyes. People who have eyes that see opportunity, they don't see loss. He had those kind of eyes. He says it was a gift from the Holy Spirit. He knew it was a gift from God as a Christian. He just he just saw opportunity where other people saw loss. So I hope you enjoy the message today and be encouraged that there is there are some amazing things God could take us through. I know I've had some losses the last few years that are just pretty amazing, uh, but I'm I'm not giving up hope. I, and I'll tell you, whenever I get down, I think of my old friend down there in the sun by his pool that he that he earned. That, he got magically one afternoon driving by an old building where they're throwing garbage away. Hope you enjoy it. And now back to more Caught on Tape with Doug Muren. Now there are some simple but wrong answers that I have seen and observed people come up with when they experience loss or agony. Where they do, you can lose a loved one or a job. And there are certain conclusions you can come as to how you come up with as to how you're going to respond to God. And really, maybe you don't say the word God or talk God language. But the way you begin to live your life reflects one of these simple but wrong answers. The first one is you can become an atheist, which basically means that you you behave as though he isn't there at all. Not around at all. And if I'm experiencing loss, he isn't there. And how many know that's not a good conclusion to come to? It can be very destructive. Secondly, you might become a dualist, which says basically this good and evil are on even terms, or you behave as though God is too weak to be involved in your life. Or you can become a polytheist. And I have trouble convincing my Christian friends that we're living in a polytheistic, paganistic society. One who believes there's many gods and all is in chaos and who knows who will win. Or you could be a pantheist. You could be someone who believes that basically there's just some blob out there, this unseen force. The force be with you. And we become fatalists. There's no reason to be aggressive about living at all. Or you could become a Satanist. A Satanist is just basically another way of saying that evil is all that is in terms of reality. That what appears to be good isn't good at all. The Satan and evil are actually in control. Or you can become a deist who basically believes that God has created everything all right, but he's pretty busy, he's off to the game, and you know, he didn't have time to worry about you or what's going on, and we become deists, which most of our country's uh, leaders in the early founding were deists. They believe God had basically got things going and got busy somewhere and forgot about us. He may be back later. But by and large, you're kind of left on your own. Or you could become an idealist. An idealist says there's no evil. Now, is anybody here one of those? I'd like to meet you if you are. Idealist. Idealist. Malcolm Muggeridge says the problem with an idealist is they remove one of the great and final proofs that there is a God and the scriptures are true. And that's the doctrine of sin. <laughs> he says, as far as he's concerned, before he became a Christian, when he heard about the doctrine of sin, he was convinced it was worth looking into because from what he had observed, people had a propensity for evil. So you can't be an idealist. So what are you going to believe? Malcolm Muggeridge also said a wonderful statement. He said, the beauty of loss and suffering is that without it, man would never become humble enough to turn to God. 
Which his concern was that people were so proud that we didn't know how to get humble enough to need God. And he saw loss and suffering as a gracious gift that would bring us into the realization that God is not only real, but he's bigger than us. Man needs to humble himself and receive him. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He believed that loss and suffering and pain was in the world as evidence that there was such a thing as free will. In fact, he called it the price of free will. That evil was introduced into this world and the pain of loss and death by, we know, a fallen angel called Satan, who is in the book of Job, who's a creature. He's not equal with God. He can only work within allowed parameters that God has, in his sovereign choice, allowed this side of Jesus' second coming. And he said that he saw the, fear, the, the agony and pain and loss as a sign that we had free will and that God had allowed people to either freely love Him or freely disobey Him, deny Him. I, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Our losses become gains first because they bring us to God. And secondly, they help motivate our free will to choose Him. Important aspect of it but we flee from it, understandably. I've got good news for you, and this is just a free little aside. This isn't even part of the sermon. I've, I've got good news for you, though. One day there will be no suffering and loss. Ha! Ha! One day. One day, only gains. I'm ready for it. How about you? One day. But we can live in that reality now. The Bible says, and let me just say, I think we're moving right to the edge of time. The events, in fact, later this fall, I'm going to preach a series on Wednesday nights on the second coming of Jesus. I believe it's near. I'm becoming more convinced. I tell you, I've always been hesitant to say statements like that. I believe this coming may be very near. You see the events going on in Israel and in the Mideast, and I'm telling you, we're seeing what's going on in Russia. These things have been predicted in the Bible, and I'm telling you, the major events that, said, that the Bible said needed to occur before Christ's coming are happening before our very eyes. And the good news is, when He does come, He's going to make a new heaven and new earth, baby. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm sorry. I got <laughs> carried away. On it. Well, the lesson today is I want to give you a simple, simple way that you can make every loss a gain for you. Three little steps. Let me read one verse out of the New Testament, the book of John. John 12. Statement of Jesus Christ. I want to read it to you because I would want us to be the kind of believers who would embrace the full biblical teaching. Now, I don't think we're masochists or sadists. But I'm telling you, we ought to be people who thank God for suffering and loss when it comes in our life because it can be a gracious gift to a more fruitful life. I'm telling you, you have to believe it if you're a believer. You have to believe that we weren't called to pain avoidance, but we were called to embrace pain in the power of Christ. I, I, if we lose $10 million, we must embrace that in the power of Christ. Somehow. Okay, now. It says, now there were some Greeks. John 12, 20. Listen to, just listen to that. You don't need to follow along. You may want to, but, but don't feel obligated to. It says, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship to the feast. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. And Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied. Listen to these words. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, 
it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. Where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Basically, here's what he's saying. He was going to die to be resurrected. Okay, that's the essential statement. But secondly, here's what he's saying. The way to gain in him is loss. None of us here will make any strides toward the true riches in life until we've experienced loss. I'm telling you. You all know it inside and we tremor before that truth. But it's true. Maybe it's true. It's out of our greatest loss that we make our greatest gains. He also saying, if you're going to follow Him, don't expect another path. In other words, if you're going to follow Him and you experience loss and suffering and you're in Him and He is at the very vortex of your life, count on it, it's going to be a gain to you. And I've noticed this about indomitable believers that live in what I think Paul was talking about, Philippians 3.10, when he said he hungered for. He said he sought the fellowship of his suffering that he might know the power of his resurrection. I have noticed that people who have Christ at the very center of all they live for experience an indomitableness and a resilience in the middle of loss that is not explainable by mere human energies. I think there are three gifts God will give everyone who will have Christ at the center of their life when they experience loss and pain. And the first is, the first is a new perspective. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Write it down and read it later. I'm going to quote it to you. It says, we grieve, we do grieve, but we don't grieve as those without hope. What he's saying is, the gift God gives every believer in the middle of loss and suffering is hope. Which is another way of saying a new optimistic perspective. And we have reason to be optimists and loss will destroy you unless you remain an optimist though. I'm sometimes made of fun of. Uh, they, they like to make fun of me around here. They call me the ultimate optimist. I'm a young guy, but I've experienced some loss. I've experienced some destruction of my dreams. I've, I've had some pain. I haven't had as much as a lot of you. But I've had enough. But I see in every loss reason for opportunity. I have really learned that when things are going bad, Somewhere in there, man, somewhere there's something good. It's kind of like the story I told a few years ago about the two little boys. Remember the story of two little guys? And they were really worried because one of them was just so optimistic. He never saw anything wrong. The other guy was so, so negative. They decided that Christmas they'd take care of it. So what they did is they got the one guy who was negative all the time. They filled his room with toys. And they got up Christmas morning and said, go in your room. And he had all these toys. And the other guy, they decided they had to teach him that the world wasn't just rosy. And they filled his room with horse manure. It's a great story. And they came back that afternoon, and the little guy who got all the toys sitting in the middle of the room crying. And they asked him, they said, Jimmy, why aren't you playing with your toys? And he says, if I do, I know one of them will break, and I won't have it anymore. And went to the other room, and this other kid's in there with a shovel, singing and looking, and he said, what are you doing, Donnie? He said, I know with all this horse manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> And that's a gift God gives. A new perspective. You also, in this new perspective, begin to put this life in its proper place. Okay, you've been uh, listening to this message, and I hope it's been helpful. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, you can pass these messages around. You tell your friends, they can go to two places. One is KCIS 630 and uh, 
Christie Radio, KCS 630, and, and they're listed there. All the shows I've ever done are on their website. Or you can go to my website, uh, which is com. Uh, it's uh, under Caught on Tape. Uh, I think that, that you'll find many shows in the past are kind of interesting. One of the one of the things we do is we do you know have to cover our costs for the airtime and uh, I'm wanting to move into doing some significant research into our culture and all. I've always done this and we require some sponsors to help us do our job well. I, I of course I'm I'm uh, in a situation where I don't uh, have like a full time job doing this, so we're not after that at all. But if we can get people who come up and say, hey, we want to partner with you in expanding. Actually, here's what it is. We're all about evangelism, the cause of evangelism. I've been researching churches, and evangelism is, I don't think, ever been at such a low in the last 30, 40 years in the U.S., which concerns me because it puts the whole movement in jeopardy because we are an evangelism movement. In fact, I'm going to be doing some shows on how to share your faith uh, that, I, I, you know, don't thrill and chill you, but we all have that responsibility. But if you'd like to help uh, fund our airtime. We, we appreciate it. And I don't really have an offer per se, but I can tell you, if you go to my website or if you were to contact me at doug.murin at gmail.com, I'd like to connect you with a group of people called Faith Life. And they make software, Bible software. And they've uh, helped me with a whole package of just the most spectacular stuff and we can make that connection available to you, and really no obligation on your part. But if you'd like to support us, that would be 20 times better. But if you buy one of their products, we have an arrangement with them where they help support the show. So you can either support us directly if you'd like. You can go to our PayPal, which is simply Doug Murin at PayPal, Doug.Murin uh, at PayPal, or you can mail your checks, as many people have been, to 1806 5th Street, 1806 5th Street, Wenatchee, Washington, 98801. And this will allow me to do several things, cover the airtime. And I, I do want to get some research going, and I like to get the best kind I can. And it costs a little bit, and I want to pass it on to you so we can be effective people at what we're about. That's what my passion is. Is I, I th- this is no time to relax, folks. This is time to reach out. And I'm gonna in our next show. I'm gonna tell you a little story about a friend of mine who was an incredible evangelist that inspired me. Would love to hear from as many as we can, of course. To in many ways, if you have topics you think we ought to consider, I'm not saying we will, but you could contact us. At, uh, it's caught on tape. But my email site is dougmurinradio.com. Dougmurinradio.com. Our shows are there at all times, as they are on Christian Radio. You can go there and and check those out. And there's a place at our website where you can donate, as I mentioned earlier. So we'd love to hear from you. God bless you, and have a super weekend. Caught on Tape with Doug Murin is a listener and friend-supported program. Your help with the show and expanding the evangelism events of Doug Murin is appreciated. You can write Doug Murin, Caught on Tape, at 1806 5th Street, Wenatchee, Washington, 98801 or online at dougmurinradio.com